I'm, I'm going to go ahead and jump in, and we'll conclude the class with a prayer today. So you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy. Uh, we're going to go back and pick up a couple of key verses in chapter 30, just to kind of remember where we are in the text. So as I said, we're right on the precipice of finally entering the Holy Land. So the, the people have wandered out in the desert, you know, eventually, uh, 40 years ago, coming from Egypt. They wandered uh, because they didn't have the faith to enter into the Promised Land initially. And uh, they ended up coming into the Promised Land from the entering from the east. So they're heading west. And so they're just about to cross the Jordan River here. This red dot is about Jericho-ish. And so the people are camped over here on the east side of the Jordan. And, um, and this is where the entire book of Deuteronomy is set. And so right before they enter, Moses stands up and gathers the people and delivers these three really big chunks of sermon. And then, um, and then he dies. <laughs> so, man, that's a sermon, right? You just <laughs> preach until you die. Um, and so we're going to look at the death of Moses specifically today. But let's start in uh, uh, chapter 30, verses 11, and I'm going to read a few verses. Uh, last week, Ben took us through all these curses and, um, and then also the blessings. And the curses are especially hard for us to hear. And even the blessings are a little bit difficult to hear because it sounds so much like prosperity gospel that, that we can be a little bit allergic to. Uh, but let's read in, in verse 11 here. Uh, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and, to, and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, and death, and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, <clears throat> and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. So Moses is, is giving the people two choices. And they're um, uh, life, and uh, my Bible says prosperity. It's probably better translated just goodness. Life and goodness, the word is tov, which is how you would say good morning in Hebrew. You know, boker tov, good morning. It's the same word here. So he's just saying good life. I'm offering you the good life or I'm offering death and evilness and destruction. And you get to choose, right? And so um, you, you have to make a wise choice, but, but you get to choose. So all of those previous blessings and curses that we went through last week, um, don't shouldn't incite fear. Like, well, if, if we mess up, if we break a law, if we miss a commandment, we mess up on the Sabbath, we're going to you know, uh, receive this wrath of God. We're going to receive all these curses. He's saying, all you do is, is walk with me. Choose, choose God, and you receive the good life. Um, or if you, if you choose outside of God, you're going re to receive hardship. And so it's not necessarily... It's not formulaic in that if you if you do my commands, then you then you magically get um, a big crop. He's not necessarily saying that. He's saying 
these are my ways, which are revealed in the law. And if you follow my ways, life, life is good. Life is better like this. So it's a little bit like um, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus gives us the Beatitudes. Uh, for years, for most of my life, I read the Beatitudes as prescriptive. You know, if, if you do this, you will be blessed in this way. If you're a peacemaker, you will receive this blessing. And, and in the last few years, I've come to realize that the Beatitudes are not prescriptive. They're descriptive. If you live a life of a peacemaker, then you're going to inherit God's good blessings. And if you live this way, um, it just naturally reaps the goodness of God. And, and I think that that's what Moses is getting at here. It's not something you have to, you have to go get. You don't have to ascend to the heavens to get this goodness. You don't have to go across the sea. It's within you. It's right there for the taking. You just live in the ways of God, and life is good that way. Um, so, uh, so those are the choices. Life and goodness or death and evil. Um, and it's here and now uh, for, the, for the taking. Just choose life. Uh, okay, and then uh, just a little bit ahead of that in chapter 31, the first few verses there. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver... Uh, the Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, and then again, Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or, or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So I would say that this is one of the major tenets of, of Deuteronomy is living in the ways of God breeds confidence and courage, uh, not fear. So even, you know, even right after we've heard all these curses, it's important to remember that God invites us into a life of, of confidence and he wants us to be uh, courageous, I think. And, and, I, and, you know, when we started the class, we asked some questions like, what does it look like to be a community of God? Uh, Deuteronomy kind of outlines that. And, and I think that this is one of those uh, key traits, that a community of God is courageous and it doesn't fear. And so I think about that even on our local level as the Otter Creek congregation. You know, what things are we doing to be courageous? What, what things are we doing that might, might be indicative of fear? And how can we redirect anything like that towards being courageous and taking risk and, and being emboldened? So those are um, important questions, I think. Uh, and then a, a second, a second uh, I think I've missed my slides here. Um, okay, so catching up. Life, goodness, death, or evil. This is, I didn't talk about this. Fear of missing out. Uh, it always seems like, especially in our culture today, that you know, oh, somebody's doing something really good on Facebook, and their life is so great, and I've always got this fear of missing out, or when I get to the next chapter of life, things will be good, you know, as soon as I graduate from college, or as soon as I get married, or have kids, or 
once kids leave the home or once I retire, life will be good. But, um, but really, I think Moses is saying, no, right, right here and now, you, you, can, you can receive a good life. Okay, so uh, be strong and courageous. And then a second important uh, item is to remember. And so just really quickly, I'm not going to read all these verses, but look in verse 9. Moses writes down the law. In verse 13, uh, the children who do not know the law must hear it and learn it. Uh, sorry, that was 13. Is that what I said? Uh, verse 19, uh, write down for yourselves this song that we're going to see in just a moment and teach it to the Israelites so that they can sing it. Verse 24, Moses sits down and, and writes a book to include the words of the law. And then in, in verse 26, they take the book and place it next to the ark. It seems important that God wants his people to remember the story and to remember the law. And um, ultimately, we're going to see that they forget. But, but that's a key ingredient to being a community of God. And the mechanism, I talked about this a few weeks ago, but the mechanism by which uh, communal memory perpetuates is not necessarily by me telling you the story or you telling me the story or us telling each other because in 40 years, most of us will be gone. The, the way we perpetuate this story is to tell the kids. Um, that's how communal memory goes forward. It's, it's generational. And so there always needs to be that emphasis, like in the Passover meal, we have to be telling the story to the, to the next generation. Uh, so communal memory is important for a community of God, for sure. And, um, and then uh, ultimately, uh, God tells Moses that they're going to forget and that they're going to fail and eventually that there will be exile. And you kind of wonder, you know, Moses is just about to die. Does, does he really need to hear that? You know, is that really what, is that comforting? Does God not have a very good bedside manner there? Um, it, you know, you, you kind of wonder why that's necessary. Any thoughts on why that might be necessary? That's an abstract question. One of, one of the things I've, I've read was you know, he says to celebrate the Feast of Booths every seven years. Right. And one of the commentaries was talking about how Israel stopped doing that, which probably ultimately led to um, you know, the eyes of their, you know, yeah. years and years after they were in the they just kind of forgot about it. Right. But, but that would have been a very significant learning moment for our kids. Yeah. Yeah, I think that. That is the key. Is it, as long as you remember the story, as long as you're participating, and as soon as they forget, then they then they find their demise. I think one possible reason that that Moses or that God chooses to kind of give that foreshadowing to Moses to say, you know, this is not going to go well. Just so you know, yes, your your people are going to enter the promised land, but ultimately this is not going to go well. Um, I, I think one reason might be because it seems like a really bad ending to a movie. Right? We've had this epic saga, this great journey across the desert. We've finally gotten there. And rather than getting the payoff of Moses actually getting to go in, he doesn't even get to go in. And moreover, God says, and your people aren't going to really last here. They're going to forget. Uh, things are not going to go well. And also, I remember the audience. The reading yeah, audience that's right. here. It, because this is, this is being written after all of right. the stuff that they say is going to happen has happened. Right, right. And so uh, you're, you're reading to people. You're, you were, if you were reading this, yeah. you already know how that played out. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's I, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, a movie like 300. 
for example, where it's like there's this great heroism. Yeah, you know everybody dies. Right. <laughs> they, there's there, there's some of that going on too, just in terms of the structure of the story. Absolutely. And so when the people who are in exile, you know, several hundred years later, are reading this. Hopefully what happens, and hopefully this happens to us as well, is that we realize when, as Moses is dying, as the whole Torah is coming to a conclusion, that's not the end of the story. And I think that that might be the possible value that God is saying to Moses, this is not going to go well. And then that's the end of the Torah. That's the end of the book. That's the end of the Torah. And you think, man, what a, what a downer. But I think that invites us to imagine, well, how does this story move forward? And so for the people that are reading it the first time, they're in exile. Well, well, what does this mean for us? How can we recapture these memories? How can we uh, start practicing the law of the Lord again? And I think for us, several thousand years later, well, we, we have to ask those questions. Well, how can we uh, carry on and be a community of God's people here and now? So, well, I think the other <clears throat> advantage to it, especially speaking to the audience, is that, is that yes, we're going to, we're going to forget the fellow so as they read that, yes, this is what happened. But then the idea is that, well, what happens when I go and read the blessing? So how, how does restoration happen? Well, restoration happens by going back and reading and understanding that God says, if you do this, if you live in my law, if you live in my presence, then good life happens. So how do we restore ourselves? Right. It's not we don't restore ourselves just by working hard. We understand that it's God's involvement, and that's where. So yes, the bad has happened, but there's also the other side of the coin. Right. Let's go through it right this time. Let's go through it right. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. I think that those that dichotomy of choices that Moses presents, those are options that always exist. So it's not like, well, you chose bad, you, you have chosen poorly, and the, and now you're you're out of luck. You know, you, you always get to choose. The next generation, you know, we choose today. We choose for our our own selves. We choose. As a church here, we choose as Christians in our country, in the world, we choose, do we get to experience this good life of God by living in his ways and by uh, blessing others and loving people unconditionally like Jesus did? Or uh, do we choose darkness and death and destruction? Those are the options. Those cho- that choice is always before us. Yes? I think it's a reminder, too, that we set down because we are part of that story. Yes, exactly. Right, that's right. It's moving, the story moves on through us, and so we have a role to play as well, absolutely. Uh, Okay, uh, let's go ahead to to chapter 32. This is the Song of Moses, and so I've asked Joni to read this with me, Um, and I don't have uh, necessarily any teaching points that I want to make here, so I would just like for you to listen, and then we can kind of reflect uh, as a class. So listen for maybe a line or a verse that really strikes you as uh, really sweet or touching or very odd or strange. And then we'll just hear kind of a smattering of, of what you hear uh, from this text. So Joni and I are just going to alternate uh, verses. He's got the odds, right? I'm just kidding. Okay. <clears throat> Moses says, Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. 
a faithful God who does no wrong, upright, and just is he. They have acted corruptly toward him. To their shame they are no longer his children, but a warped and crooked generation. In this way you repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people. Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father, and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob has allotted inheritance. In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. The Lord alone led him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the heights of the land and fed him with the fruit of the fields. He nourished him with honey from the rock and with oil from flinty crag. With curds and milk from herd and flock and with fattened lambs and goats, with choice rams and bacon and the finest kernels of wheat. You drank the foaming blood of the grape. Yeshurun grew fat and kicked, filled with food. He became heavy and sleek. He abandoned the God who made him and rejected the rock, his savior. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to demons, which are not God, gods that gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your fathers did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angry by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be. For they are perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. They made me jealous by what is, by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. For a fire has been kindled by my wrath, one that burns to the realm of death below. It will devour the earth and its harvest and set fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap calamities upon them and spend my arrows against them. I will send wasting famine against them, consuming pestilence and deadly plague. I will send against them the fangs of wild beasts, the venom of vipers that glide in the dust. In the street, the sword will make them childless. In their homes, terror will reign. Young men and young women will perish, infants and gray-haired men. I said I would scatter them and blot out their memory from mankind. But I dreaded the taunt of the enemy, lest the adversary, lest the adversary misunderstand and say, Our hand has triumphed. The Lord has not done all this. They are a nation without sense. There's no discernment in them. If only they were wise and would understand this and discern what their end will be. How could one man chase a thousand or two put ten thousand to flight unless the rock had sold them, unless the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not like our rock, as even our enemies conceive. Their vine comes from the vine vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are filled with poison and their clusters with bitterness. Their wine is the venom of serpents and deadly poison of cobras. Have I not kept this in reserve and sealed it in my vaults? 
It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. The Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free. He will say, Now where are their gods, the rock they took refuge in? The gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up to help you. Let them give you shelter. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. I lift my hand to heaven and declare as surely as I live forever. When I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasps it in judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood while my sword devours flesh, the blood of the slain and the captives, the heads of the enemy leaders. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and people. So this is the song that Moses comes up with. It doesn't even rhyme. <laughs> this is the song that Moses comes up with so that his people will know the story and remember that they are to be God's people. Uh, what, does it what, rhyme in Hebrew? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't look at the Hebrew. It probably does. Is this an invitation song? Yeah, that's right. That's the end of the sermon. And Moses said, let us stand. And then this, um, this is not a... Uh, well, anyway. Okay, so uh, what did you hear? What, what stands out to you in this song? Anything surprising? I want to know from George if verse 13 is a foreshadowing of fracking. <laughs> it's a foreshadowing of, of fracking. fracking. I hate to confess that that thought ran across my mind. <laughs> <laughs> As I read that, I... I'm ashamed to say that an old man. That's I thought about. Maybe there's some shale deposits. I'm sorry that I did think about that. One question that came up earlier. Earlier, Randall was asking about that term Yeshron, which is fifteen, verse fifteen. I don't know how it's spelled. Is that how they spell it? Yes. Uh, and it really shouldn't have a U there. It's really uh, Yeshrun, uh, which is just a, a diminutive way of uh, referring to Israel. So I, I came up with it. I mentioned like in Spanish, if you're familiar with Spanish, you can call a child a niño, and a little child is a niñito, I think. I might be making that up. Uh, but I can't, well, it's not a good, I can't think of a good example in English of like a suffix that you put on a, on a word or a name to just make it endearing or like a diminutive term. Kid and kiddo. There you go, kid and kiddo. So this is Israel O. This is just, a, <laughs> this is just, um, so here this is. Israelito. Israelito, yeah. This is, uh, this is Israel here. Uh, Yud, Shin, Resh, Aleph. Lamed, and the L suffix has to do with Elohim. Uh, so it's there's, there are lots of different uh, etymology studies on the word Israel. But one, one way to interpret it is it's uh, Yashar is the suffix as it is in Yeshurun. 
Yeshurun is, is here. So you can just see that the suffix part is different between Israel and Yeshurun. Uh, the, the root part of the word, Yeshar, is, just means straight and narrow. So um, you could say these are the straight and narrow people of Elohim. Uh, you could say these are just, this is just a sweet way to refer to Israel that Moses employs. That's right. Any other thoughts there? Or we can move on. We also, back at the beginning of class, we noticed how in the first chapters, as Moses, the first chapters as Moses started speaking, uh, there was this passive-aggressive thread going through there. And I, I, I think it's interesting that in verse five, verses 1 through 4, He's singing directly to God and he's praising God in front of the people of Israel. And then he starts speaking about the people of Israel in the third person. Mm -hmm. you know, they are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. And Israel has to be going, we're right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, then and, and, and it becomes less passive. He turns right. directly on them. It goes into second person the next verse. But it's just, it's just interesting to me structurally yeah. that we saw that in a large form way spread out over the first few chapters of Deuteronomy right. and now in this condensed version we see it again here. Yeah. yeah, that second person, third person thing really struck me too as I was reading the text this week. It's, that, that's interesting. He's having a conversation with God so that the people can overhear at one point and then he's talking to the people. In songs in church. Yeah, yeah. And, and as a as an aside, uh, that's something that shows up in our worship music today. Hymns, contemporary music. Uh, it's always a good practice, I think, to note uh, what person you're singing in or speaking in. Uh, are we are we singing directly to God? Are we singing as the church to one another to encourage faith? Um, I think that's a good mechanism to uh, to help en enliven the theology and meaning of songs, uh, just as an aside there. I use verse 11 many times as a devotion. 13. Yeah, L like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. If you know how an eaglet teaches, the eaglets how to fly. That's the eagle picks the highest place for a nest. So people went in, it's called an airy. And uh, when it, the mother eagle knows when it's time to teach the young ones to fly, and she will hover over the nest, she'll begin to stir it, make the kids a little bit more uncomfortable, push them out to the outside of the nest where they're seen, and then eventually she will push one out of the nest. And he will just be flying as best he possibly can, but he can't. She'll swoop under it and catch it and take you back to that's how she teaches you. That's just over and over again until he gets it. That's God's analogy. There's a famous sermon based on this, too. Aretha Franklin's father, C.L. Franklin, had a, a famous recording of a, one of his sermons that was based on this verse. And it's, it's fascinating, mm -hmm. listen. Interesting. Yeah. That's neat. That's a great metaphor. 
as you're describing that, I'm thinking that's a little bit, we're, we have a 16 year old and we're just starting to hover over the nest. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think that's just right on. And when you give me the keys of the car, just be sure you're that's there. Right, that's right. Well, we can swoop down and support if we need to. And he's got a year and a half before he's leaving the nest. But we're starting to make things a little bit more uncomfortable and say, okay, you know, what would you do in this situation? Or when he asks a question, you know, how, how, how do I need to do this? I don't know. What do you think? You know, what time do I need to go to bed? Well, you, you got to get up at this time in the morning, so make it work. You know? Or you need some money. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we've had that conversation a lot. <laughs> I need some I need some money. I'm like, well, me too. Good luck with that. All right. Sorry, we're off off topic. Okay, chapter thirty-three. Uh, we don't need to spend a, a lot of time here. We're gonna come back and get to Mount Nebo here in a second. I've totally lost track of my slides. I have no idea what y'all are looking at. Song of Moses, so we're not too far. Okay, Deuteronomy thirty-three. Uh, this is a blessing that Moses stands up and gives to each tribe. Of course, the tribes are, are based, um, well, there are 12 tribes. They're loosely based on the, the 12 uh, sons of, of Jacob. It's not a one-to-one match. And if you read carefully, we're not going to read this whole chapter, but if you read carefully, it's striking that Simeon is not to be found in the blessings. Uh, Simeon gets left out and um, is scattered. And this, the Simeon tribe lives among the people. We see that in Joshua later, that the Simeon tribe is represented but they're um, no longer a full-fledged tribe with all the blessing that comes with that. And that goes back to uh, Genesis 34, uh, Jacob's blessing of his sons. Genesis 34. Um, <clears throat> when, when Jacob is, is giving a blessing to all his sons, in fact, he, he leaves out uh, Simeon and Levi, 34 verse 25, three days later, while all of them were, oh, that's, this is the story. This is the reason why um, uh, Simeon and Levi do not receive the blessing. We don't really need to read this. You can read it if you want, but uh, it's a weird story. Uh, The sister of Levi and Simeon is Dina, and she is apparently raped um, or at least defiled. Uh, by a, a non-Israelite, and so the brothers Simeon and, and Levi, <clears throat> through some conniving, eventually take revenge on the family of the of the guy that raped their sister. And so, because of that violence, <clears throat> because of the fashion in which they perform that violence, uh, they they don't receive a full blessing from Jacob. Eventually, the Levites are redeemed, and you see here in uh, Deuteronomy that the Levites actually receive kind of a special blessing, more so than the other tribes, uh, and are put into this role of a holy priesthood. Um, and, and that's kind of where that is initiated. But Simeon is still um, kind of the black sheep of the family, it appears. And Levi was Moses' tribe. That's right. That's a good point. Yeah, Moses is in the tribe of Levi. So maybe that's why <laughs> Levi... Uh, the Levites get a, a special blessing in our No, his our people, his people killed, revenged the children, revenged God when the children of Israel made the golden calf or the golden snake or whatever. The, 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 the look at the snake on the pole. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, and it was the lead tribe of Levi. Right, right, that's right. Um, so that that redeems Levi. 
Um, all right, so the last bit of Deuteronomy is, is the death of Moses. Um, and um, there are a couple of accounts in Deuteronomy uh, to explain to Moses uh, why he will not enter the land. <clears throat> One of those accounts says uh, that God was frustrated with the people of Israel. That he, he was uh, frustrated with all of their complaining, and so therefore Moses will not enter the land, which seems a little bit unfair or harsh to Moses. Uh, the other account is what Ben referred to uh, when Moses loses his patience and instead of speaking to the rock to get water from it, he strikes the rock. And so there are, there are two different uh, reasons given as to why Moses will not enter the, the promised land. But, of course, he's able to go up to a high point and look over and, and see the blessing or see the, see the promised land. Uh, so let's read in. Well, let's just read that whole last chapter. It's short. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, according, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho to the city of Palms as far as Zor. And then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him. There's a couple of interesting things there. Uh, the word he is actually not there in Hebrew. Uh, it just says, uh, it's, it's almost like um, reflexive. Is that the right? He, he was buried there. Yeah, passive. Yes, thank you. The passive tense. He was buried there in Moab uh, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab, Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent to him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his officials, and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the, the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And thus ends uh, the Torah, the first five books, the Pentateuch, Torah. Uh, the, the Torah is just um, the set of not only these first five books, but also the rabbinic commentary that goes with them. So it's just the... Uh, uh, Jewish teaching set. And so that, that's the end of the Torah. Um, a couple of points here. Uh, of course, this first red dot is uh, Jericho. This over here is about where Mount Nebo is. And today there's a church up on the mountain. Um, looks like this. Uh, I don't think the parking lot was there. I don't know if it's been there. But, um, but this is up on a high point on a mountain. And in fact, uh, uh, this is the representation of the snake on the pole that we were just talking about. And you can see that you can walk up here and there's a lookout. This is actually, of course, in Jordan. So if you're in Israel, you're not going to get to this spot. Um, but anyway, you can look out across the Jordan River, looking to the west, and uh, you'll see all, all of this land. So the Sea of Galilee is to the north, to your right. Uh, Jericho is out here in the distance. Mount of Olives. Jerusalem, it's 
a little bit further, and then the Dead Sea is down in the low part of the valley there. Um, I've often wondered why this was referred to as uh, the land of milk and honey. Uh, there are parts that are very fertile and, and rich and lush for sure. But like a view like this, I wonder if Moses got up there and said, oh, was that it? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not missing that much. Uh, but there are also coming theories, from Egypt. That looks pretty good. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there are also theories that even as recent as 2,000 years ago, the land would have looked very different, um, and that even this far out from the Mediterranean, which is you know beyond towards the horizon, that it still would have been lush all the way all the way out here, and that's just been farmed over the years and with some climate change and some things like that. So we don't know exactly what Moses saw, but something like this. Um, so, so with Moses' death, we're left with, okay, who's the new leader? And uh, the typical answer is, is Joshua, uh, because Moses blessed Joshua, and the next book is Joshua, and we see how Joshua leads the people. But if you read chapter 31, does anybody have chapter 31, verses 1 through 3, that they could read? If you've got that, just go ahead and read that. Yes. Okay. And I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord has said. So, according to that, uh, actually the Lord is the one that is crossing over before them. That he will now lead the people. Um, but Joshua works as the minister uh, to the Lord and guides. Um, one other thought I had as far as, you know, it just seems so um, disappointing that Moses doesn't get to get into the promised land. Um, you know, earlier in their journey, uh, when they needed food, they received uh, manna, what we call manna. In Hebrew, that's just manna, which is just portion. So they're just receiving a portion each day of, of bread that comes down from heaven. And they're instructed not to gather more than what they can use that day. Um, they're given what they need for that day. And I think, you know, maybe Moses' life uh, is what the people needed during that season. And now as the people are going into the promised land, I think God is saying, I will now be the leader. I will go before you. I will be um, the presence. And so, um, and so I just wonder if, Moses was what the people needed. That he was their portion for this journey. And now God is ready to do something new. Um, and so that, that could be a, a possible reason why, why Moses doesn't go on in. Um, all right, we, we don't have time for all of this, but there are certainly implications uh, as Jesus comes on the scene that he is the new Moses. There are many parallels between their stories. At birth, the baby boys are killed. There's I won't read all that, but you can see all those parallels. I like to do, sometimes when I teach this, I like to do um, uh, kind of survey questions and give you uh, pieces of the story and say, okay, now who is that story about? And typically people say, oh, that's about Jesus. And we go, no, actually that's about Moses. Um, and so the, the authors there are very much aware of how they're crafting these stories to point to, point to each other. Well, the, the gospel writers are pointing back to Deuteronomy. Um, and of course, I think, you know, Jesus is our portion. Jesus is what we need for this day and this time. He is our, he is our manna. Um, 
At the very beginning of the class, we talked about the value of studying Deuteronomy. Hopefully, you feel like we've achieved this. Um, I hope that you've seen the grace and love of God in this story, even though it's sometimes it's difficult. Uh, if you have more questions about that, I could give you a couple of books that you could read. Honestly, you know this, this is one of the hardest things for, for people to understand. H how does the God of the Old Testament that seems so vengeful and wrathful, how is he a God of, of steadfast love? How, how does that work? How does that line up with the New Testament? And it's a, it's a hard thing to, to wrap your mind around sometimes, but, but I think it's there. Um, if you'd like to know more about that, we could, we could talk about that individually. All right. Um, we are out of time. Let me ask, let, let's finish uh, with a prayer and then a reading of the Shema together that comes out of chapter 6. So let me ask you to stand, and we'll close with a prayer and then the Shema. Father, I thank you for your word that has been preserved through generations. We're so honored to be part of your story. We pray that you would give us the courage and the faithfulness to be able to see how to be your people today, here and now, in Brentwood in 2017. What does it look like to be strong and courageous for you? What does it look like to be faithful and to walk in your ways and to experience your good life for us? This is our prayer through Christ. Amen. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So be it. Thank you. Thanks for participating throughout the course. Enjoyed it.